Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 21. I am excited to be with you this weekend and close out our Follow Me series. And I personally have really loved this series. If you don't know me, um, my name's Noelle Larson. I'm married to that handsome bearded man on the front row, Pastor Brad. But I am a bit of a rule follower. I, I just, I like rules. I always have. Is there any other rule followers in the house? Just raise your hand, loud and proud. Thank you. I'm also, I'm the firstborn bossy Big sister, are there any other firstborns out there? Yes, represent. There's just something I've loved about having rules and guidelines and expectations. I just, I don't know, I love it. And I had this last couple weeks, um, one of the highest compliments paid to me, that highest compliment a rule follower could ever receive. In fact, I'm going to share it with you because I was sitting in my tax man's office, okay, and... Every year I come and we have this kind of song and dance that we do every time. And I bring my stack of papers and I'm kind of fumbly. I don't know why, but I just feel nervous because he's, he's super stoic. Like you just, I crack jokes. He doesn't laugh. I'm just, I, I don't know if he represents the IRS to me, but I'm just nervous like when I'm in there. And so he'll ask me for documents and I'm like, please let it be right. So every time we just do this thing and when it gets awkward, I just keep cracking jokes and he just sits there like this. I'm like, okay. So it's a very long couple hours. But anyway, at the end of our session this time, he wrapped up all of our paperwork and he handed it over to me and he said, your photo is going on the wall as my most prepared, most on the ball client of the entire year. And I was like, are you kidding me? I have just reached the pinnacle of success in my life. Like, (laughs) there is nothing greater for a rule follower than to hear those words. And I promise you, I left that office and I probably told 20 people what he said to me. I was like, can you believe what the tax man said? And they're like, okay. So really, though, you either are a rule follower or you've been annoyed by one because we can be annoying sometimes. And I know, and I apologize. When I married my husband, he's not a rule follower. In fact, he's like a rule bender, mover. I I don't really know what the word is, but but I can tell you playing board games with him is not fun, okay? (laughs) And when we first got married, he was, I was like, I can't believe you cut the tag off the mattress, says under the penalty of law. Like, this is what it's come to when you are a rule follower. And and the same thing can happen in Christianity because we can make it so much about the rules of following that we miss out on following the person of who Jesus is. And so I have loved walking through the steps of Jesus to the different places that we followed him to because it's opened my eyes that I can choose to follow rules or I can choose to follow Jesus. And following Jesus often looks a whole lot different because Jesus was obsessed with two things, his father and people. That's it. Rules, yeah, sometimes he followed him, sometimes he didn't. He really didn't care too much. And as followers of him, our heart must be to, to love our Father and to love people and to follow Jesus. So I've just loved getting to do this and walking through to the different destinations. We followed him to Zacchaeus' house, right, where he, we discovered that he meets us where we are. He comes to us. It said he, We heard him, Pastor Preston, say, I must go. And in turn, to follow Jesus, we must go to those people we saw him go to the well 
to meet the woman there and to erase all those unwritten rules and really erase the lines of prejudice and follow Jesus to the well. And then we followed him to the desert, which for me was a little bit unexpected. And, and to be honest, when I saw Pastor Preston's notes, I was kind of hoping he forgot an S and we were actually following Jesus to dessert because that would be awesome. Like, I would be amazing at following Jesus to dessert. Like, just so amazing. But so if you haven't heard every single week, I'd love for you to go back and listen and follow Jesus along this path because it's so much more than following a religion. It's following a person, the person of Jesus. And so today, as we close out the series, I, we're going to follow Jesus to one of the very last places he ever walked on planet Earth before he ascended into heaven. We're going to follow Jesus to the shore. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for these people here today, God. I thank you that you've assembled us here, and God, that you're here, that you have something for us. We're not just gathering in vain, God, but as we sit here, God, you're speaking to every heart in this place. You're opening our ears to hear exactly what we need to hear today, illuminating our eyes that we might go where you called us to go and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close this series, I really believe what God wants to do is paint a picture for every one of us of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, of what it looks like. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down how to follow Jesus, how to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And I think what is going to happen as we look at this passage is we're going to see as Jesus kind of walks the disciples through what it looks like to follow him after the cross and the resurrection, and it's a defining picture of what being a Jesus follower for us looks like. And in it, I believe we're going to see four things that he wants us to know and do as Jesus followers. And as I was preparing uh, to share with you, I was kind of reflecting on life and ministry. And I realized something that you're probably not going to believe, and that's fine. But I wouldn't lie to you. I am in my 20th year of full-time ministry. You guys don't look shocked. I started when I was four, okay, but I am now in my 20th year of serving God in ministry, and as I kind of looked through these notes and looked through this passage, I realized that the four things that God was highlighting for us this weekend are really the four biggest lessons that I've taken away over the last 20 years. So I hope that you'll lean in. Um, I hope you'll hear and get where I believe God's wanting to show us today. So we're going to Start out in John chapter 21, and here we have the disciples, and they have spent the last three years following Jesus. They've followed him, they've eaten with him, they've walked with him, they've talked with him, they've ministered with him, they've seen miracles. They even followed him to the cross, and they followed him to the resurrection, because at this point, he's already appeared to them two times. So they know he's alive, and you would think that this is kind of a mountaintop moment for them, like the Savior, the Messiah, has not only come, but he's risen from the dead. Their friend isn't dead. He's alive, and I would think like they'd be super happy, but the picture that we see is a little bit of a different story, and I want to read to you in John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. 
Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. Side note, when Peter's about to jump into water to swim, he puts on more clothes. I'm just saying it's not always the brightest guy out there, okay? And he headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. I get this sense as I read it that the disciples are kind of a bit lost, right? They just really don't know what to do at this point. They've walked with Jesus. They've seen the miracles. He came and he died just like he told them and he prepared them. He rose again just like he promised. But now on a day in and day out basis, they're not with him. They're not seeing him. They don't really know what he's doing. And, and although they know they were called to follow him, they just are kind of in this quandary. And these guys would be the men who eventually took the gospel, the story of Jesus, the miracle story, to the ends of the earth, really. Like, they're the reason that we're sitting here, because they actually did. They followed Jesus. But in this moment, before they head out, they're kind of at a loss. And Simon says what? He says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they all say, well, we'll come too. And I wonder how many times you and I do the same thing, Right? Maybe these guys had really expected Jesus to set up his kingdom on earth. Maybe he was, they were hoping secretly that he was going to eradicate the Roman rule and they would no longer be oppressed and they would be able to sit beside Jesus and rule and reign. But honestly, I just really think that what they expected, they didn't expect to be here. They didn't really know that it was going to look like this, following Jesus. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in the very same place we commit, we follow Jesus, we start the walk, and we have this idea that I am going to meet my dream mate this year, and we're going to get married. And I'm going to take that skyrocket to the top of the, the ladder in my career, and it is going to play out just like this. And then we find ourselves in places where things just don't turn out like we thought they were going to turn out, right? And I think in those situations and in those circumstances, it's easy for us to get just like the disciples and do what they did, which is they went back to what they knew, right? They went back to what they'd always done before Jesus. The entire cross had happened. I mean, their whole lives were radically changed, but here they are in this place, and they're like, well, that was all cool, but I guess we're just going to go back fishing. And I wonder how many times do you and I find ourselves going back to what is familiar and what is comfortable because we just don't know what he's up to. We're confused. We can't see him clearly. We can't hear him clearly. So we go back to what we know. And I'm here to say that, that by the very nature of the word follow Jesus, there's this implication of movement, right? There's an implication that if I'm going to follow him there, I have to leave behind what is here. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we have got to forget the familiar. We've got to forget the familiar and here we have the disciples, and it's literally a deja vu moment. Because if you recall, when Jesus very first called them, it was a scene just like this. In Luke chapter 5, we see that Jesus, when he first meets Peter, they've never met before, he sees him, and where, what's he doing? He's fishing. And he calls out to him, he says, hey, have you caught anything? And Peter's like, no, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, well, put your net on the other side of the boat. So they do, and there's so many fish that their nets are literally breaking. They have come full circle. They are exactly where they started when he first called them. And I love Jesus because he's standing there. And in that moment where he could be frustrated, he could be like, did you not just see what all happened? Did those three years mean nothing to you? 
Instead, rather than chastising him, do you know what Jesus does? He recreates the moment that he first called them. He recreates it. In Luke, 11, uh, Luke 5, 11, it says this, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. That was the moment he called them. The moment they left fishing behind. And here he is again. And rather than just like berating them or condemning them, he stands and says, Okay, I want you to know. You may not know what it looks like now from here on out, but I got to tell you, I'm still calling you to follow me. I'm still standing in front of you saying, get out of the boat. And rather than condemn you for going back to what you know, I'm going to stand in front of you with my goodness. I'm going to show you once again that I can do the impossible and that when you follow me, I'm going to lead you exactly where I want you to go. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to forget the familiar. We have to forget the familiar. And there are seasons in following Jesus that it's not going to be easy. And I'm sorry to say this. I know it's the week after Easter and I should be doing like a rah-rah. And you're like, is that the good news? It's not going to be easy. There is great news. We get to follow him. But there are seasons when we do not know what's happening. So we have to follow Jesus and forget the familiar. And the second thing that we have to do is we have to embrace our identity. Let's pick back up in 21 verse 9. They row the boat in, and when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I would just like to say a side braggish wife note that my husband yesterday caught 150 less fish than they did in this but no one made me breakfast. Just another side note, but whatever. <laughs> now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time he had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Jesus had asked this question a third time. And he said, you Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. And if we just look at the surface, the portion of the scripture can kind of seem a bit confusing. Like, why does he keep asking him the same question over and over again? But when we look deeper, we can see that Jesus is actually addressing the giant elephant in the room at that moment. Because when he said, do you love me more than these? He, he knew what he was saying. The disciples knew what he was saying. And, and Peter definitely knew what he was saying. Because just a couple weeks earlier, they had all sat together at the Last Supper. And Peter had declared that he loved Jesus more than anyone. And in fact, he would follow Jesus no matter where he went, even if it meant to death. And he just had this big bravado, I love Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, tonight before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter couldn't even believe it. But here, Jesus subtly brings that right back up. Do you love me more than these? To really bring up the fact that, Peter, I know why you're fishing. We all know why you're fishing. You can almost see Peter's head kind of just hung low and the shame that must have been he had been carrying since the cross. Like, he had denied his best friend. Everything he promised to do, he was a failure at. 
So I'm just going to go back to what I know. And Jesus is sitting there with him and saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? We're not, I'm not going to let this elephant hang out in the room. We're going to address it here, and we're going to address it now. And Peter says, yeah, you know I love you, Lord. Probably with a little bit less bravado than he did at the Last Supper, right? And Jesus, almost like he sticks his finger under his chin, pulls up his head and says, then feed my lambs. And in this moment, it's Jesus reestablishing Peter's identity. He's saying, Peter, you know who you are. Pick your head up. Pick your head up. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must embrace our identity. And so Jesus asks him a second time, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, then take care of my sheep, which this, this word take care is kind of this picture that he's a shepherd. And it's, it's really elevating Peter to this place of leadership and calling out in him, you know who you are, and you know what I've called you to do, Peter, so let's rise up. And you can almost feel the life coming back into Peter as he begins to remember everything Jesus told him he would do. And then Jesus asks him a third time. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, you know I love you. But with that third and final time, Jesus was doing brilliantly what he had planned to do. For every time that Peter had denied Jesus, he was reestablishing his identity one time after the other, after the other, as if to say, no more. This is done. Right here, right now. That's over. You know what one of the worst things in the world is? Maybe not the worst, but one of the kind of worst things is when you go through like a drive through Chick-fil-A, in and out whatever it is, and then you get home to discover that the fries are not in the bag. Has that ever happened to anyone? It's super annoying. Like you are like sitting there thinking, the reason I went through a drive through is for the convenience, and here I am. I didn't get what I paid for. And I've, I have, I'm just saying I've been annoyed here and there. And we have some Chick-fil-A owners here, and it's not your fault. I love you. It's a great business. But it's annoying. You, don't, you want what you pay for, right? You spend good money. You want what you, you paid for. And I can just imagine Jesus in this moment. Because here he is watching Peter covered in shame, broken, kind of bent over in the sense of really not understanding who he is. And I can believe that Jesus in that moment was ticked off. Not ticked off at Peter, but ticked off at the enemy. Because do you know that just a couple weeks before, he had paid the ultimate price? He had paid, Isaiah 53 says, for our shame to be eradicated. And here he is just a couple weeks later, like, I just paid for you to understand who you are. And here you are, bent, bowed over in, in shame, not knowing your identity, not knowing that I have paid the price for you to know who you are in me. And I believe today there may be some of us here who because of what we've done or even because of what's happened to us or the words that other people have spoken over our lives, we can begin to hang our, cell, our head and really not know who we are and really forget that Jesus paid for you and I to stand up tall on the inside and to know that you are everything God says you are today, where you are, in this place, you are everything God says you are. And I hope today that you feel that sense of Jesus sticking his finger under your chin, looking up and saying, you are everything I say you are. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to embrace our identity.
we have to stand up on the inside and embrace our identity. You know, some of us are disqualifying ourselves for what God has asked us to do when he paid the price for us to be qualified. The best way that we can show our love to God is by embracing the identity that he paid for through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. It's true. He said it to Peter, do you love me? Then stand up on the inside, Peter. Discover who you are. Embrace your identity and follow me. The best way we can show our love to God is to embrace the identity that he paid for through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. We have to embrace our identity. So how do we do that? You might be sitting here saying, how do I know what God says I am? I don't feel it. I don't think it. My, all day long I hear this voice in my head that tells me the exact opposite. How can I stand up in the inside when I can't get over what's happened to me? And I want to share with you that if you want to walk out of this room and begin to embrace your identity in a deeper way, one of the best ways you can do is to go to his word. And everywhere it says, in Christ, by Christ, in him, by him, do a Google search of in Christ. And that, my friends, is your identity. Everything it says there, everything it says you are, that's exactly who you are. Pin it up on your walls, put it in your car, put it on your paw. I don't care how you get it, but you need to remind yourself who God says you are. And when that tape recorder begins to play over and over again, you need to shut the mouth of that by saying, this is who he says I am. And embrace the identity that Jesus paid for you and I to have. And the next thing that we need to do, we need to forget the familiar, embrace our identity, and quit comparing. Let's look in verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. You know, the one who leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? John just really wants us to know that he is the one that Jesus loved. Like, if you didn't get the first time, like, I'm also the guy that, remember that? That's me. That's me. And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Pointing to John. And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. Nothing will derail us from following Jesus on our path than looking at, faster than looking at someone else's path. Nothing. Here Jesus is laying out for Peter the plan and the path that he has for him, and it's huge. Jesus is telling Peter, hey, Peter, like not only are you going to follow me for the next couple years, you're going to follow me, and your death is going to honor me. Like this is big. You're going to be instrumental in doing what I've called you to do. You're going to do it. And Peter can't even listen and absorb that for long enough to, then he looks and says, well, but what about him? What's his path look like? That desire to look and see what everyone else is doing and what their path look like is so innate to us, right? If you've spent time with any children, you realize you cut a piece of pie and they have their eyes on who's getting the biggest slice. We have got to quit comparing our path to someone else's path. In 20 years of ministry, I can tell you there is no cookie cutter path in following God. And the moment that you and I look at someone else's path, we've taken our eyes off him. We're not following him anymore. And you may be in a season where following Jesus kind of seems hard and you're tired or you're more tired than you used to be. You're struggling to kind of 
have that same momentum that you've had. And that may be because you're turning and looking and saying, why, why does it seem so easy for them? Why does it look so great on social media, their life, their ministry, everything seems so great. Their career is just really taking off. It's so easy for us to start to look at what God is leading other people to do. But the moment that we do that, we're taking our eyes off him. And we're susceptible to stumbling. We're susceptible to falling because we're no longer looking at him. And the moment we look to someone else's path, we find ourselves trying to manufacture what they're doing. Doing it in our own strength. I'm telling you that there are doors in your life that only God can open. And you cannot get to those doors if you're looking at what other people's paths looks like. You have to quit comparing. And the fourth thing is, and I believe what Jesus is really trying to show the disciples in this moment and show us is we're going to have to follow him by faith. We're going to have to follow by faith. No longer was, were they going to walk with him on a daily basis. They weren't going to get to see him. They weren't going to get to follow him on the path that they saw with their physical eyes. But they were going to be following him, and now they were going to be following him by faith. Now they're going to be following him by faith. And it was a turning point in their ministry. And I think so often we miss the best part of following Jesus. And you want to know what that is? No? Okay. I guess I'll leave. Just kidding. The best part of following Jesus is Jesus. Like we get Jesus. And we can get so caught up with where he's taking us and the surroundings around us and the terrain that we're on. But the best part of following Jesus is that we get Jesus. And I think often we're looking for almost like some sort of treasure map, right? To just kind of, just let me find this and I'll get to my purpose and my destiny. And if I go here and I do this and we forget that we don't get a map, we get a guide. We get a guide. Jesus had sat the disciples down and said, I'm leaving, I'm going. It's going to be, it's not going to look the same. And let me just tell you, it's good that I'm leaving because when I leave, I'm going to send you a guide. My spirit is going to go with you. In John chapter 16, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Isaiah 30, 21 says this, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. I think often that we have this idea that following Jesus is meant to be like some sort of fluffy white cloud experience, right? Like we're just going to float from one thing to another. The reality is it's not. It's not. Sometimes it's challenging. We're going to face seasons that are harder than we want them to be. But if we're going to follow Jesus in those moments, we've got to trust the fact that he gave us a guide. You know, the first um, time I climbed Echo Canyon Camelback with my husband, I should also know it was the last time I climbed Echo Camelback. Um, why? Why is that fun? Anyway, um, I remember this feeling because he had been multiple times, like he knew that path and, and I was just kind of like dying, really. I'm like, every step I'm like, are we there yet? Like what, when do we turn? And I, then I found myself like pulling myself up by a pole, like this is fun. Anyway, I kept saying like, I, I don't know where we're going. When is the top? And, and I think that was the hardest thing for me is that I didn't know when it was going to be over. I didn't know when we were going to turn. I didn't know when we were going to make it to the top, but he did. 
and as I trusted him to lead me. But it was trust. And that's the same thing as we go through various seasons in our life and we go on various places that he leads us to go, we've got to trust that we've got a guide. We've got to trust that he's leading us and we've got to follow by faith. And it's not always going to make sense on paper. It's not. But you don't need a map. The only paper you need is this paper that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It doesn't have to make sense on paper. You know, I love the fact that Jesus made them breakfast, okay? Because personally, I personally believe that breakfast is the most intimate meal of the day. Like, dinner you can have with friends and anyone, really. Lunch, you can have a business associate, you have a lunch. But breakfast is for people that you actually want to see in the morning. Like, and for me, that list is kind of short. I'm just saying. <laughs> breakfast is for family. And I love that Jesus reminded them that, hey, I'm going to be sending you out. You're not going to be with me, but I'm going to be with you. You're not going to see me, but I'm going to be with you. Because the road that he was calling them on was going to be rocky. There was going to be moments when they probably questioned, why am I following Jesus? And they needed to remember that it comes from a relationship with him. We don't get a map, but we do get a guide to walk every step with us. Every step with us. And the reality is that safety is an illusion. Safety is an illusion. Every single one of us is going to leave this building today, get inside a metal vehicle, speed down the 101. I mean, we are not promised tomorrow. Our 401k, it's not safety. The carefully laid plans that we have, there's no sure thing. There's only one sure thing, and that's Jesus. In Matthew 7, 24, he says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds their house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the flood waters rise and the economy goes and someone else comes into office and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it is built on rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain comes and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I have seen this play out in every major decision my husband and I have walked through in ministry in the last 20 years, our entire marriage, in my entire life. Rarely did we come to a decision where it made sense on paper. There were times that we're like, really? You want us to, are you sure? But there is this sense that we have to follow by faith. You're calling us to plant it, leave the Bible Belt, a fastest growing church in America, plant a church in the desert in our mid-20s. We don't know what we're doing. Do you know that? Follow me. There are times he's asked us to give when we didn't have it to give. Didn't make sense on paper. There are times he asked us to forgive when it didn't make sense to forgive. At every single turn, there are moments when it did not make sense on paper, but we knew, as for us, we're going to follow him. And I'll tell you that God is faithful. Abraham knew, knew the spirit of faith. It says in Hebrews 11:8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went out without knowing where he was going. There's this sense 
that he left behind everything to follow, not knowing where he was going, that spirit of faith that it takes to take one step after another. And one of the best things that Abraham did as he traveled is everywhere he went, every time God did something great, Abraham would build an altar there and he'd worship God. And then they'd go on to the next thing and God would do something good and Abraham would build an altar and he'd worship God there. And every single time he built these altars and I can't help but wonder if when the road got rough and God's promise of a son and to make him a father of many nations seemed so far off. And that land that God promised him as in his inheritance, he had no idea when or how that was going to happen. I can't help but wonder if in those moments he didn't look back at those altars and those mile markers along the way where God was faithful to him. And in that moment, he said, I can trust my guide. And you and I, if we're going to follow him by faith, we have to know that we serve a faithful God. We serve a faithful God and we can look back as we travel. And the promise might seem far off, but if we look back, we can see that he has been faithful here and he's been faithful here. And this time I never thought we'd get out of that and he came through then. God is faithful. And as we look back and recall the faithfulness of God, we have that courage to take the next step of faith. And the disciples had moments after moment, time spent with Jesus, where he did miraculous things. And every time they recalled it, they could have that strength to trust their guide that they had to follow by faith. Jesus said to Peter, as for you, you follow me. You follow me. And I believe that that's what he wants to say to every single one of us here today. But as for you, you follow me. You follow me. And I'll say that you're here today and, and you might be finding yourself back in those familiar moments. Maybe you're in a season in life where following Jesus, it's, it's not clear. You don't know maybe where to go. You don't know the next step. It's hazy. You don't understand what's going on. And maybe like the disciples you felt a bit lost and you found yourself back in the familiar and back in the comfortable ways you've always dealt with things. The things that you thought you left behind to follow Jesus. Same coping mechanisms, same habits. Maybe you find yourself struggling with the familiar today. Or maybe you're like Peter and you find yourself wrestling with your identity. And I'm telling you that the battle for your identity is real and it's ongoing because the enemy knows that if he can get you to question your identity in God, you'll trip up and stumble every single time. Did you realize that every area in your life of brokenness, pain, every area in your life of disobedience and sin always comes back to an identity issue every single time, every time. And Jesus is there to lift up your chin and remind you, you are everything God says you are. And today you may need that reminder that no matter what's gone on, you are everything he says you are. As for you, you follow him. Maybe you found yourself comparing and, and the road seems weary because you are just looking at what God is doing for everyone else, wondering when is it my turn, God? And he's saying to you today, as for you, you follow me. Don't look to the right or to the left. You follow me.
And for every one of us here today, I know what he's saying. He's saying, you need to follow by faith. Do you realize that following Jesus is not for the faint of heart? It's not. It is for the faithful heart. And when I look at the people that God has assembled in this house, I'm amazed because you are not people who are faint of heart. You're not. I get to hear the stories of how you people find us and you are not people who are faint of heart. People who have left jobs and security to come and serve and lead here. People who sacrifice their time and their finances and their treasure and their talents and their gifts to come and serve here and follow him. There's one story of a woman who literally received a piece of junk mail that she never signed up for in that magazine, happened to read that a church was starting in Scottsdale, Arizona, and she knew in that moment she was supposed to come move here 3,000 miles and start, help start this church. Guess what she did? She packed up her life and moved here to help start this church. That's the kind of people that you are. You are not faint of heart. We have an entire group of college students that serve and come and worship in this house who while the rest of their peers are out sowing their wild oats in these years, they are here following him every single day. I come on Tuesday, they're here doing this. They come and they volunteer, they come and serve, they serve your kids, they serve and worship. They're following Jesus when it doesn't even make sense. That's the kind of people that you are. And when I begin to look and see the caliber and the strength and and the calling that God has placed on the people that he's assembled here, I have to believe that he wants to do something in this community and this valley that no one's seen yet. I have to believe that there are lives meant to be touched by you as you go out and you follow Jesus. And I believe that following Jesus by faith is so much more than us getting to our destination, but we get to be part of his story what he is doing here. And that's exciting. As for you, you follow him. You follow him. You might be sitting here today and say, yeah, I I sense what you're saying. Maybe reflecting on any of those four areas, do you fall into any of those places? And I wanna encourage you today that today's an amazing day to respond to the call to follow him. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.